What's up, everybody? Welcome to the last episode of Watch If You Dare, Season of Spoop. My, my guts are out, Aaron. Aw, shit. It is all about werewolves this month. Um, obviously, if you've been listening, so far we have done The Wolfman, and we have done Ginger Steps, and now we are capping off Season of Spoop 2021 with motherfucking dog soldiers. Hell yeah. Perfect guest for this episode. We once again have Mr. James Hale back on again to discuss this movie with us. Yes, sir. Hell yeah. So, yeah, welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast podcast hosted by your movie monster boy Aaron and my cowardly co-host Derek in which we dissect the fears phobias and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike so with all that said like I mentioned earlier we have James back on again weirdly enough we keep getting you on for foreign movies this is a uh, English language but it's Scottish right at least it's not Italian horror this time because we usually have you on for Italian horror. Yeah. But yeah, this totally seems like it would be right up your alley considering some of the things that you've mentioned you wanted to see more of in the horror genre. Specifically uh, military, right? Yes. Military guys running into fucked up shit out in the woods, so here we go. Cool. Well, uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Let's jump into some recommendations. Because we're going to have a lot, usually. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, and happy Halloween, everyone, by the way, this is going to be like the episode for Halloween. Should be like the day year. before, yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. So happy Halloween. Lycanthropic trick or treating, always fun. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'll dress my infant daughter up as a little werewolf. And just kidding. We already have a costume planned. So I'm going to be the Halla Wolf. I'm going to be the dude outside walking, getting my child candy, and <laughs> hopefully not trying to lose my shit. You're going to be dad. I'm staring down the barrel of those years. So. It certainly is a barrel. She is still too small, and so we get to dress her up however we want to, and she can just be riding with us, and she has no say. Cool. Well, yeah, let's get into some recommendations. So, James, what have you got for us? An anthology series that I have literally loved since it first came out called Slasher. Just finished the fourth season. It's on Shudder. Okay. It came out weekly when it was actually posting episodes for it and the actual season is technically over so i just binged that recently and it did not fail it's wall to wall just shit because <laughs> i am an american horror story super fan but it doesn't have the fantastic elements of american horror story where it's like okay well there's a uh, supernatural or fucking aliens sure yeah yeah what was it 1984 richard ramirez is like a ghost demon super serial killer what it is is just human nuttiness kind of the best way to describe it would be one part soap opera almost and then the other part is just super gory guy in a mask fucking shit up yeah because i i keep seeing that like on the shutter front page and it always looks fascinating to me so yeah um interesting that you're bringing it up i became more curious once i heard david cronenberg is in this season oh he was fucking boss this season because (laughs) the way we often look at cronenberg whenever he actually does any type of character roles he's very very best way i can describe it is 
very mellow. Yeah. Kind of matter of fact. He's always chill. He's always erudite. Yes. I'm thinking of Nightbreed with him just going like, he's got a gun. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> I'm a Star Trek fanatic. He was on the past season of Star Trek Discovery. Huh. And okay. And same thing. Uh, albeit he was a good character on Discovery, but it was the same thing. Just very, very... The, the guy who is like the oracle of a situation, but at the same time, you know there's something in him that's dark. Sure. On Slasher, it was the total opposite. He was just like this super evil asshole. <laughs> there's no other way to describe it. <laughs> and it, it worked. And I, I mean, when I first saw him, I was like, holy shit, Cronenberg's gonna be on this? for. And I thought it was going to be for one episode, but he's on the entire season. Oh, okay. So you get to see him and you hate his character, but he, he's very, very good on it. And yeah, Derek, I would implore you to watch it. Yeah. Even if you yeah. go back from the first season on. First season's a little bit less in your face, but it still is in your face. But once they go up from season two on, it's just like wall-to-wall batshit. Yeah. Okay. Given the series I've been watching that I've talked about during recommendations on our last two episodes of Season of the Spoop and on, I will continue on this episode. Given that I've watched through that franchise, I have been bit by the slasher bug, but I would like to see different takes on the slasher genre this sounds like it has a, a different take on than the franchise i've been watching yeah literally every season is something new like with american horror story they kind of have an ensemble cast but then they also have new people on uh as new characters every season you can literally watch each season by itself because of it being an anthology series okay and little shit you might pick up because they did have they do have every now and then you're like oh shit they're talking about this from this season right kinda, they have little stuff like that but at the same time you can just watch each season on its own so i've been into that i've started reading aftershock comics uh miskatonic which is okay. like this crime nor lovecraft story yeah where there's just a lot of lovecraftian shit but also a lot of traditional crime nor stuff because it takes place uh I, as, as i recall it was the 30s there are things that are from those periods that they had like civil unrest yeah how foreigners are looked at as undesirables and that they're looked at as being the cause of certain things that are going on also if you're a lovecraft fan and you've ever read the horror at red hook tom malone is one of the main characters of the comic yep so it, it's it's awesome. I've heard a lot of great things about that comic. I haven't checked it out myself yet. I read the first arc of it and enjoyed it. The artwork in it's really stellar as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Other than that, really, uh, since... Talk about getting bit with bugs. Got bit with the COVID bug. And uh, uh. <laughs> had to spend time watching a lot of stuff. And I started watching... And I had never... I don't know how I missed out on it. And I never heard of it until then. But the uh, YouTube channel Alter that has horror shorts okay yeah this is news to me yeah some of them are like kind of like oh hey let's just do this and make this little horror thingy but then others are like really fucking badass that's wild that you bring that up because i was scrolling through fucking tubi just to see like what new horror shit they added they have a whole sub category that is just altered and my yeah. wife and i were wondering what is this and i threw one or two of them on just to skim through them and that's what it looked like with short films i didn't realize it's 
from a YouTube channel, though. That makes way more sense. Yeah, I think they maxed out maybe at a 30-minute film. A good chunk of them are less than 10 minutes, but they're still effective. So, yeah, I highly recommend... And, and again, it's a, it's a short. You can go in there, watch it. You're good to go. You don't feel like you've burnt time if it does yeah. suck. But then others, you're like, holy shit, this should have been like a full movie. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, since pretty much YouTube, there's always been horror shorts and people saying like, no, these are actually legit good. Wasn't Lights Out technically a YouTube short or was that just a short before it became a full-fledged movie? It was a short and I yep. think he put it out on YouTube and his Vimeo. Mm. And then it just kind of got blown out into that feature. Yeah, so that happens. Like, apparently Raw was also some short film originally, which, dear lord, the more I hear about fucking Titan, Titan, however you pronounce it, the more I'm fucking intrigued by that movie. Like, oh, yeah, yeah I've been itching for it to show up. Yeah. Julia Ducournau doing body horror about a woman fucking a car and having a car baby. Like, yes, what the fuck is this? Especially after, like, yeah. one con. Like, I'm down. And not only that, like, it has crazy good reviews, too. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. waiting for that movie to pop up on, like, a mainstream streaming site so I can watch it. Especially because Raw was so fucking good. Yeah, that happens. Like, Ari Aster, like, he's got a lot of his original short films that are oh, yeah, on YouTube, definitely. and you can check them out. So, yeah, a lot of those people have their stuff up on YouTube. So that's what I do want to dig more into. I just need to, like, get a list together. And uh, actually, the last thing that really tops off, and it goes into one of the most recent movies I've seen in literally months in a movie theater. I saw Candyman. Yes. And I was insanely impressed yeah I, I loved it i gotta watch it yeah aaron you recommended it last episode and now you're recommending it as well james and i've just heard nothing but praise for it i i really want to watch it i'll confess i need to go and watch the original Candyman because i've watch it never watched sure. it start to finish yes yeah i've only seen bits and pieces of it but i do need to see the new one as well once i watch the old one and that's the key thing i've had a couple of friends ask about it as well and then it's one of those where you have to watch the first movie yeah then go watch the second movie and you see how everything ties together and then once you do that you're like holy fuck the second movie as in the new candy man not the sequels to the original candy absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not the sequels yeah. just clarifying there yeah, and yeah. thank you uh touche uh yeah go watch the first one then go watch the second one and you will be fucking impressed yeah yeah i i really fucking loved it i really like what they did to really evolve the story because that's one thing that so many horror sequels fall into is just being more of the same and more of the same and more of the same and this one took the initial idea and the mechanics and totally pushed it to a whole next level and had story and commentary and character and all this other stuff all on top of that. So yeah, I was highly, highly impressed with it. I'm itching to watch it again. It's coming out soon. It's already on VOD. I've already got the 4K of it pre-ordered. So like, I'm itching to watch that one again, hopefully by the end of the month. Yeah. Kind of like what you said, Aaron, and I realized that in watching this and also watching Green and McBride's Halloween I'm going to say the film industry in its entirety, but especially the horror film industry, it's very rare where you can get a franchise that really keeps the beat. 
if they're just one after another being released. I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe the most recent one would probably be Scream, and even there's some little deviations in that franchise. But you're right, though. Out of all the slasher franchises, like that's the one that at least has the consistently, like at least from a critic standpoint, most positive scores and things like that. There's so many franchises, like after what I did for September and October this year, I want to go and watch Friday the 13th, but Jesus fucking Christ, are there so many movies in that franchise? And I know a lot of them are like going to be not even trash that's fun, but just boring. So like I'm kind of going to drag my feet on that. I will say this. I went back and rewatched the first Friday the 13th through all the way through the remake, except for Freddy versus Jason, because I refuse to ever watch that again. (laughs) The first four movies, despite the fact that they are kind of rushed, the first four movies are actually good. Yeah, and like it's one of those situations too where a lot of people say two and possibly even three are even better than the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not something you see a lot in these slasher franchises. Yeah. After that, from the fifth movie on, well, alright, I'm not gonna spoil anything. I kind of know like the big turning point, but yeah. But like you're just like, you know what? I'm just here to see Jason kick the shit out of people yeah Yeah. kill some teenagers yeah in the most (laughs) weirdly odd ways and just get a kick out of that other than that i'm not here for story (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah that was pretty much uh what i've been rapping about uh cool derek what about you are you still chugging down the halloween train speaking of The darkest souls are not those which choose to exist within the hell of the abyss, but those which choose to break free from the abyss and move silently among us. Dr. Samuel Loomis. Yeah, assholes, I am done with Halloween franchise, at least up until Halloween Kills. At the time of this, I have not watched Halloween Kills yet. We're recording this before it will come out, so. Yes, but happy Halloween anyway. So yeah, for those of you who haven't been following along, which what are you doing? Go back to listen to our other Season of Spoop episodes so you know that we're doing werewolves this year. But also, too, the last two episodes, I've been going through the Halloween franchise, specifically the Michael Myers movies. Uh, I've seen Halloween 3 so many times, I decided to admit it and just do the Michael Myers movies. On the last two episodes, I've talked from the original Halloween all the way through god-awful Halloween Resurrection. Oh, Jesus. Since last episode, <laughs> I have watched... Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 and 2, and then the Blumhouse 2018 Halloween that reboots the franchise. So I'll start with Rob Zombie's Halloween. I enjoyed it, I'll admit, but I went in with an attitude, and I think you have to go in with an attitude of this is an alternate reality. Yeah. This is yeah. like Rob Zombie's universe Halloween. Like, this is not the Michael Myers you know. White trash to the max. Right. Everybody yes. is screaming the word fuck. Sherry Moon yeah. Zombie is there. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of homophobic <laughs> jokes and comments, all that kind of stuff. It's an enjoyable movie. Like, listen, if we're going to really, like, embrace Michael Myers is related to Lori and their brother and sister, like, I still don't like that concept. But, like, honestly, this might be a hot take. I told you. It does it better than the original movie. Aaron, you're right. I think Rob Zombie does a better job of it than the original movies does. I hate to admit that, but it does. It does a better job. This is straight up like immediately like in the first fucking 20 minutes of this movie, it's dirt people horror. (laughs) If you don't like Rob Zombie, you're not going to like this movie. At least you're not going to like the first chunk of the movie. I don't know how I feel about seeing him as a kid. Everything was completely on the nose. Like his family was white trash the max. His mom 
mom's boyfriend was super abusive and an asshole to everybody in the family. His sister is ignoring him to go have sex with her boyfriend like when she should be taking him uh, trick-or-treating. It's all just this kind of mean-spirited, but it's Rob Zombie mean-spirited, which is very intentionally. So it's not mean-spirited, mean-spiritedness for the sake of it. It's more like this is how you make a character like Michael Myers if we are going to really try and explore him actually like interacting day-to-day with his family and like him going to school and stuff like this is how this monster would be born but I could also see the argument of like this is a little bit kind of like the Star Wars prequels of do we really want to see Darth Vader like when he was a kid yeah it's kind of cliche he's torturing animals and like collecting the dead bodies of animals he suddenly goes into kill mode when he wears a clown mask and like he becomes a blank stare little kid his sister's listen like actually there are two kills a sister and then a later kill in the movie they're listening to Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult like before the kill happens like very on the nose yeah there's tons of needle drops throughout both movies yeah Yeah. the love hurts playing like when he's sitting like by himself in front of his house because no one took him trick-or-treating like was a little bit like what the (laughs) fuck kind of movie is this Danny Trejo's death in this movie was comically mean-spirited the only nice guy I was good to you Michael I was good to you yeah but I guess in a way it shows hey Michael Myers like doesn't discriminate you could have been good to him or bad to him like he's still gonna murder the fuck out of you it was kind of interesting to see in his cell he just was collecting masks and making paper mache yeah. masks like all over it. that was kind of neat there's some touches that are interesting i just don't need yeah. all of it exactly if you want to do backstory do backstory give us weird details like that but i don't need to know like all the specifics dude he, he's a kid for like the first 40 minutes of this movie yeah, like that's why that movie is way too fucking long because they spend yes. 30 minutes on him as yes. a kid yeah and they're even showing scenes after he commits the murders and he's locked up yeah. and like his mom is going to visit him really again like I really do feel like it's a way just to like get Sherry Moon in more scenes of his movie which is fine I don't mind her she's fine but the thing I will say is once you get to the actual remake stuff of the original Halloween zombie actually handles it relatively well like yeah it's gored up and way more bloody it's gored up it's more intense there's more screaming there's more shaky cam like it's just it's more across the board more nudity but it's basically like beat for beat still the same yeah yeah pretty much and he does a relatively good job of keeping the spirit of the original halloween in those scenes so maybe i would have done less with little kid michael living in a dirt family and more of the actual remake stuff it was great to see brad dorif chucky himself as the sheriff in this movie so that's one thing that i will say and i I think i've mentioned this previously that i do appreciate about rob zombie's movies in general he does the same exact fucking thing that tarantino does in that he takes a lot of these cult old school actors brings them back into his movies and gives them like bit parts right yeah and so that's kind of the thing like regardless of which rob zombie movie you're watching they're all full of old school horror people and just cult actors in general right everybody in that halloween movie is somebody even down to like new Lori's friends one of them is daniel harris who is yes. jamie right so yeah when you brought that ba- back up man daniel harris can't catch a break from michael myers no. <laughs> she gets <laughs> stalked by him in the thorn trilogy as jamie and then in this movie and this rob zombie sequel she's annie Brackett, and boy does she like 
not come out too well in either of these movies. Again, I do think it handles the reveal of Laurie and him being brother and sister better than the original Halloween 2 does. I think Malcolm McDowell is a great replacement for Donald Pleasance. Like, you're never going to replace Donald Pleasance, but if you had to pick an actor to be the new Loomis, you can't go wrong with Malcolm McDowell. The guy is a great actor. I also love that the spin on Loomis is that he's kind of getting famous off of Michael Myers, and he cares less about, like, containing Michael Myers and more just about his story. Yeah, he's a fame hack, yeah. Yeah, like, I thought that was a nice touch and, like, a reason why the sheriff doesn't care for him. Boy, oh boy, was seeing the Weinstein Company as one of the co-distributors a big (laughs) oof before this movie. Um. Anytime. Man, anytime that you see that now. I I went and saw, they were showing the, like, extended versions of Lord of the Rings, right? And one weekend that I was crashing at my parents' place for work, I went and saw Two Towers. And at the end of the credits, when, like, the Weinstein's names came up as producers, there were like three people in the audience that were just like, boo. <laughs> Speaking of another big oof at the beginning of this, Lionsgate, the great evil of Ott's horror, in my opinion, also <laughs> flashing on screen, which I would lump this kind of stylistically with the Ott's horror scene of just trying to be grimy, but still like a gloss of paint stylized kind of camera sure. filter to it, which I don't like it, but whatever. Like, at least it didn't take me out of this movie. Like, again, I think zombies halloween is worth watching but go in knowing that it's a rob zombie movie first and halloween second and that it is alternate universe just keep that in your head this is not the michael myers you're used to which then brings us to rob zombies halloween 2 from 2009 (laughs) i'm curious to know what you think because i honestly kind of appreciate the fact that he didn't just do a remake of the original two like he at least tried to do something different with it yeah yeah, yeah. regardless of like how successful that is it's a bad halloween movie but a bug nuts crazy like actually kind of enjoyable to watch movie yeah if that makes sense i'll agree with that i agree with that as well i don't think it's a good movie and i don't think it's a good halloween movie but it is definitely one you should watch if you like horror and you just want something that you might have not seen yet rob zombies halloween 2 is fucking nuts like crazy bonkers and it's kind of a little bit of a train wreck but it's kind of like a beautiful train wreck because like rob zombie poured so much energy in this movie of now trying making michael myers his own and not trying to copy the beat for beats of halloween 2 and 4 and five and six he really is trying his hardest to make it his own but like because of that then you have the white horse symbology in this which again i think is an excuse just to get cherry moon zombie back in this movie for like most of the movie i like that he made his own fictional quote at the beginning at least where he says the white horse is a metaphor that is linked to instinct purity and the drive of the physical body to release powerful emotional forces like rage and ensuing chaos and destruction like michael myers kind of just always picked his ghost mom and wearing white with the white horse and like he's kind of always chasing that is interesting it does remind me a little bit of like the white horse appearances in twin peaks yeah Yeah, yeah, but man zombie couldn't make it seven minutes into this movie before like having body transport guys joking about fucking naked high school girl corpses like what the fuck and then while all that's happening a fucking cow comes out of nowhere that's what causes michael to reawaken and escape the transport i'll give him (laughs) this zombie makes a lot of his victims in this movie irredeemable and disgusting so it is kind of fun to like watch him like fuck up a lot of people except for the teenagers usually the teenagers still kind of innocent kills 
Also, too, again, like very on the nose with the symbology because you're always hearing uh, knights in white satin by the moody blues. Yeah. I love that the dream sequence that she has in the beginning is so long that she like made her own universe in the dream sequence when Michael stalks her in the in the uh, hospital because like she even names Buddy the security guard and like for a nightmare like that's pretty involved. <laughs> so the crazy bug nut shit is all the stuff between Michael and Lori seeing Ghost Mom and like Lori going insane and becoming the new Michael Myers, right? Sure. A lot yeah. of that imagery feels like a different horror movie. It feels like even almost like a supernatural horror movie, like when she has those nightmare moments. Again, another Halloween, another fucking dead dog. <laughs> Somehow that didn't happen in the first zombie Halloween movie, surprisingly, but it did happen in this one. Yeah. Lots of other dead animals in that one, but no dead dog. Yeah. The table nightmare with Kid Michael and the ghost mom and like the pumpkin people, that was the craziest scene in this movie where like, what kind of fucking movie I'm watching? But also like the best jump scare. I do like the actress who played Lori in both these movies. Scout Taylor Compton is is the actress. Yeah, she's good. She's good, but I really feel like she like for better and for worse, she really bought into like this is the direction Rob Zombie's Lori is gonna go in. And like I think if you had another actress who kind of was just like, what the fuck kind of script is this? This isn't Halloween. It would have caused problems. And like I do like that apparently like Rob Zombie like went to John Carpenter, like I think even during the filming of the first movie, and like that was John Carpenter's main advice is like make it your own. And so he really took that and ran with it. But yeah, if you want to see like hobo Michael Myers talking to his dead mom as a kid again and then you want to see like Lori I love how Lori she was a little bit of like the prototypical like girl who went through trauma because now she's goth but her idea of goth is having punk and metal posters everywhere Um, (laughs) it was very kind of cliche but like if you want to see that you want to see like Michael murdering like people in farm fields as he's just hoboing his way across town to get back to Lori Lori going fucking batshit it's an insane movie what what do y'all think I honestly um, and it's funny that you talking about this i had a discussion with a few people on a uh, youtube page for 80s horror or not youtube rather with facebook and two things i came up with a multiversal halloween theory <laughs> <laughs> and literally it, it links all of the movies together but it's literally a multiverse yeah because how do you explain resurrection and h2o right the ones with jamie lee curtis are deviated timelines their variants <laughs> yes and then in one aspect it includes which is one of the things that i loved and i always will love about john carpenter's michael that i kind of didn't like about rob zombie's michael was the fact that you don't know what michael is and why he's doing it with john carpenter yeah And that makes him insanely fucking terrifying in a lot of ways. Rob Zombies is scary and terrifying, but it's like in that, oh shit, we got a serial killer running around fucking killing people and we don't know where he is. Yeah, like there's documented parts of Rob Zombies, Michael, like there's documentation of that, like he used to speak. He used to be like a little boy who like had these dark thoughts, whereas Zombies, none of that exists. He just doesn't talk, period. I mean, not Zombies, Carpenters. And that's how I look at it where in the fact that if you even if you look at the credits honestly it's one of the soundtracks 
I listened to insanely uh, Halloween and Halloween 2 as far as the original Carpenter ones. Yeah. Michael is referred to as the shape and that takes yeah. away his humanity and makes him into a force versus yeah. just Michael came from Kunas background and now he's just killing people. Well, and the thing that's even creepier too about the original Halloween is that the house and his family seem pretty normal right. for the brief shots they're in. Well, to take it to like a further degree, Michael in the original is just a normal dude. He's just a regular dude, regular build and everything else. In the Rob Zombie movies, it's fucking Tyler Maine. It's like a fucking WWE wrestler. Saber like tooth. he's a Hulk, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? So like that is scary. Yeah, if a dude that fucking giant is after you, yeah, that's scary. It's a whole different kind of scary though from a fucking five foot nine dude who's staring at you from behind a hedge. You know, it's it's a totally different kind of vibe. Yeah, right. So kind of a couple things off of like everything we just were talking about before I move on from the zombie movies. Interesting you brought the multi-versal theory because Aaron and I talked about how there was an early script for either Halloween 5 or 6 for like the doctor who's revealed to be like the leader of the Thorn cult. Right. There was an early script that it was going to be Connell Cochran. Really? The villain from Halloween 3 yeah. would be the leader of the Thorn cult and that would tie in the third movie into the Michael Myers universe. So you know maybe somewhere in, in this infinite universe there is a universe where that exists. So like multiversal theory. And I'm going to jump in right there. So these two Rob Zombie movies they are certain Certainly their own fucking flavor. And like I mentioned, I love that 2 really tries to go off and be its own weird fucking thing. Tell me how fucking rad it would actually be if Rob Zombie just remade Halloween 3 and like tried to actually do something fucking weird with that. That could be intriguing. That would be crazier than Catch It. <laughs> yeah. That would be crazy, but I feel like say, before these movies came out, if you would ask me like what horror slasher movie franchise that like is well known will Rob Zombie like get the reins to, it would have been Texas Chainsaw. But he did do that. That's right. exactly what House of a Thousand, Thousand Corpses, Corpses is. Yeah. I haven't seen House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> that is Texas Chainsaw Massacre made by Rob Zombie. Totally. Okay. Totally. Like, if you go okay. into House of a Thousand Corpses expecting it to be Texas Chainsaw, that's exactly what it is. Every movie Rob Zombie makes just feels like, you just want to do Texas Chainsaw. Like, why is no one giving this to you? But yeah, on that note, so I, I touched on, like, Rob Zombie and John Carpenter having a little bit of a feud, because apparently when Rob Zombie met with Carpenter prior to making these two movies, he says Carpenter was distant and, like, cold to him and just told him, like, you know, make it your own. And then apparently in a Q&A, Carpenter heard that during a Q&A with some fans called Rob Zombie a piece of shit that was a liar. But then apparently as of like a few years ago, like apparently they buried the hatchet. A lot of like what led to the 2018 Halloween is that Carpenter was not happy with Michael Myers, how he was portrayed in the zombie movies. But again, like I think it's somewhere in the middle where it was probably kind of Carpenter is a little bit of a crotchety guy. Yeah. And like him and zombie, maybe not a clicked as well. But like if you're going to tell someone to make it their own, I mean, zombie at least made his own. Final thoughts on these two zombie movies rob zombie really loves strippers titties slow motion cuts a shaky cam and bones coming out of skin again he has dirt people mean-spirited brand of horror but i do think it's intentional and part of a style and ultimately feels more like a genre of exploitation than just plain problematic although like some of the dialogue is kind of problematic still he really goes for the texas chainsaw aesthetic and 
somehow makes it feel even more white trash. And then kind of going back to what y'all said earlier about like Tarantino, like with this casting, there is a splash of Tarantino feel to his movies to me. Yeah, It's more like surface level Tarantino with making a lot of characters like, my name is Book and I like to fuck. That's kind of like more what he's doing. It's a lot of his use of, like I said, old cult actors, but then like Tarantino, so much of his stuff is just, here's a reference, here's a reference, here's where I pulled this from, here's what I was inspired by. Hey, you know what else I really like? Giallo. Like, it was just very much a like, let me just put all this shit together in terms of my influences, and then the gestalt end result of that is Rob Zombie TM, Tarantino TM, right? Yeah. To wrap it all up, Zombies Halloween movies felt like the Marvel Ultimate Universe, the alternate universe <laughs> of the franchise. The Ultimate Universe was a line of Marvel comics that all took place in a different reality from their main regular line of comics and main universe. And the intention was to have a different take on all the characters and make the stories more adult and edgier and darker. But in the end, the universe just became super wild and batshit and even slightly problematic. And Zombies movies kind of felt the same way with the franchise as Halloween 1 had a lot of familiarity but by the end his halloween 2 we're in original but batshit looney tune story that just happens to have Lori, michael and loomis and other halloween stuff in it but it just feels so different so that's kind of like my final thought i'm going to talk now about halloween 2018 then i'll do a, my own ranking of the franchise and i did have other recommendations but i'm gonna cut it short because we're running long so halloween 2018 guys i don't know if it was just like the mood i was in when i watched it this was the Halloween movie I wanted after the original John Carpenter Halloween. Okay. Most definitely. I thought this was a not just a good movie. I thought this was a great movie. I don't know if, again, if it just worked. Like, I was, like, starred for, like, classic Carpenter Michael Myers because going through all these movies and the zombie movies being their own Looney Tunes insane thing. I love that it retcons everything, and it's a sequel to the very first 1978 original Halloween. I even love that they addressed that it was just rumors that they were brother and sister. Yeah. I love that they bury that immediately in the beginning. I love Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie. Like, old, lives in the woods, bunker, and owns a tons of guns. Jamie Lee Curtis is fucking prepper Jamie rad. Curtis, yeah. yeah, prepper Jamie Lee Curtis. The cast of this was phenomenal. Her daughter and her granddaughter were well cast. This was the scariest Michael Myers has been, in my opinion, since the original Halloween. It had a lot more gore than the original Halloween, but it felt like it wasn't too much. Like, it didn't feel grindhouse he didn't feel like the zombie movies were as overly gory. It was bloodier than the original Halloween, but like it felt more modern and but like it wasn't within over the realm. The top, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and which is funny because there are some over the top kills. Spoilers for 2018 Halloween. Michael fucking hollows out a cop's head and puts a flashlight <laughs> in it to yeah. make it look like a jack o' lantern. He's still doing shit like that. That scene where he's just walking around the neighborhood and going house to house killing random people was fucking terrifying and one of the best. Michael moments of any of the movies since the first one. I'm excited for Halloween Kills. I know it's kind of kind of be a bummer because we already know a third movie is on the way, so we kind of already know how this one, the second one's going to end. I mean, maybe, maybe not because they shot maybe, two yeah. and three at the same time. These are all supposed to be like a boom, boom, boom kind of trilogy happening yeah. all at once. Well, and apparently they were supposed to 
shoot all three together at the same time, but they thought that the, the schedule would be way too rough and then COVID hit. Sure. I don't know, guys. This movie really worked for me. I loved it. I thought it was the best Halloween movie. Unbiased opinion. You know, if I'm looking at this from as critically unbiased as I can be, this is the second best Halloween movie of the franchise next to the original Halloween. I don't want to talk much more because honestly, I don't want to spoil anything. Anyone who watches the Halloween movies needs to go watch it. I will say I do love that it starts with podcasters and I do love like <laughs> getting shit wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. You know where it's going to go with them and like the pumpkin kind of like coming back to life and like almost being reinflated as the yeah, that original cool. score is playing was rad as fuck. John Carpenter having direct involvement throughout the production of this and him and Jamie Lee Curtis both being executive producers was awesome. John and Cody Carpenter doing the soundtrack was awesome. This felt like the movie I've been wanting. And see, that's interesting that you had that reaction because I also seriously liked 2018, but it is so split in the fan base. Uh, yeah. So many people fucking hate it for whatever reason. I can tell you, honestly, from my personal view, everything you said, Derek, about uh, 2018, I completely agree with. There's even steps further where I will say the idea of Lori being traumatized thoroughly and then arguably becoming almost a predator in and of herself during the movie. Yeah. That blew me away. And it seems to be going even further with his next right. one in terms of her going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But like, um, as far as the split fan base, I think, and like I said, it's part of what I looked at. Whenever I look at the Halloween movies, because I love the Halloween movies, up until 2018, I was Halloween, the first movie, Halloween 2 and Halloween 4. Those were like, my mainstays and I think you and I had a discussion about this Aaron well before the 2018 one came out it was the fact that they cut out Halloween 2 sure Halloween 2 for a lot of Halloween fans and I didn't even know this I thought it was just a me thing they actually liked Halloween 2 and Halloween 2 is actually it's a good movie again they do that whole what I call the Luke I am your father aspect where it's like how the hell is she his sister yeah where did that come from but but it's a good movie. It would be a great sequel if they just removed all that shit with her being revealed to be his right. sister. Like, 2 pisses me off because of that aspect. I still think 2 is a good movie. It's one of the better Halloween movies in the franchise, but... Well, and to both of y'all's point, from what I have seen in the fan base in terms of why they don't like it, I think too many people grew up with these fucking movies and they're way too nostalgically attached to them. Yeah. A. And B... The idea of Laurie and Michael having been siblings the entire time is so baked into the fucking lore and legend at this point that to then go back years later and say, but actually no, is kind of a spit in the face to like a lot of those people that are the super fans, right? And Derek, for you, you're just now seeing these movies. You have no attachment. You have no nostalgia to them. You didn't spend your entire youth growing up watching them constantly. I did spend my youth watching the original and Halloween 2. Sure, yeah, yeah, but not like all the rest of the sequels. No, I didn't watch. I only caught bits and pieces on sci-fi, like when, when they would do marathons of the sequels. But even as a kid, though, I thought that was such a dumb plot reveal of them being brother and sister in two. I don't know. Somehow, like, this movie, like, got rid of all the shock and gore of the zombie movies, but somehow was still creepier and more disturbing. Like, he fucking murders a preteen in this movie. Like, I think it's the youngest kill on screen of any of the Halloween movies. That 13 or 14-year-old kid that's yeah. going hunting with his dad that's pretty brutal like he doesn't ev 
eviscerate the kid, but like he murders him on screen. I don't know. I loved it. So I know I'm taking up a lot of time with recommendations, but I, I had to like get all this Halloween out of my brain. And hey, it's Halloween. So, you know, deal with it. So to keep track, everyone, there is Halloween universe where Halloween one, two, four, five, and six is a universe. Halloween one, two, H2O and resurrection is a universe. Then you have the Rob Zombie Hall- two Halloweens, and now you have a Halloween timeline where it's the original Halloween from 1978 and the 2018 Halloween. And in my head, the 2018 Halloween is the one true canon movie now. That's just me. I agree. Here is my personal ranking of the Halloween franchise from worst to best, and I am including three in this. This is my non-critical, my personal favorite. Your personal, yeah. Yeah, worst to best. Worst. Halloween Resurrection by far. Fuck that movie. Yeah. Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers. Also fuck that movie. Halloween 5 The Revenge of Michael Myers. Not so much fuck that movie. It was just more boring, but it was kind of fun to like watch him kill people with farm tools. From here on out are movies that I actually enjoyed, including the lower ones. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. It's bug nuts. It's a bad Halloween movie, but I still thought it was great. Halloween H2O 20 years later. It's enough of a nostalgia fest that I I enjoyed it. And just like it has Jamie Lee Curtis. Any of these movies have Jamie Lee Curtis I'm gonna love it's not great but it's fine I actually like Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 more than Halloween H2O. Then after Rob Zombie's Halloween, I have Halloween 2. Then Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which I think out of those pack of sequels, I think Halloween 4 is the best, even better than the original Halloween 2. I made it a tie between Halloween 3 Season of the Witch and Halloween 2018 because I just fucking love Halloween 3 Season of the Witch so much. (laughs) Fair. Halloween 2018, I think, is a better movie for sure, but I just like it about the same. And then the best Halloween movie. I mean, I can say I like, I prefer Halloween 3, but it's undeniable that it's Halloween 1978, the original Halloween. Like, it's the best in the franchise, period. So that's it. I have Michael Myers out of my brain finally. That's all the time I'm going to spend on my record recommendations there's my personal ranking maybe it's a hot take to some people but there you go i actually as a halloween fan agree with that ranking completely even the halloween 3 one <laughs> yes no halloween 3 gets a bad fucking rap yeah oh halloween 3 rips shit i love halloween 3 so much tom atkins alone just yeah and i think if i'm not mistaken the halloween 3 masks do appear in cameos yes. in halloween 2018 so yeah you see them yeah. in the trailer i'm definitely pumped to see the new one for sure okay cool well i guess i will go ahead and wrap this up and i will try to stay quick We'll see. Yeah, sorry about that. I I didn't set you up for success. (laughs) Well, you've been going with this all month long, so I think it's only fair to let you wrap it up, right? Yeah, this Halloween has been Michael Myers and werewolves for me. Like, there you go. Uh, So I got... Three to discuss real quick. Uh, the first is the original 1971 Willard, directed by Daniel Mann. Yes. Starring Bruce Davison, Sandra Locke, and Ernest Borgnine. Uh, yeah, it's been a long goddamn time since I've seen this movie. It is about a put-upon dude working a shitty job, can't stand like where he is in life, befriends a bunch of rats, dot, 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 trains them to kill people, profit. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine is his, like, dick boss, and Ernest Borgnine is actually really fucking good in that movie (laughs) as just the asshole boss. But yeah, you know, it's all these rats, and it starts off with one or two rats, and he names them, and then, of course, by the end, it's, like, literally a fucking house 
pouring full of rats. It is definitely 70s campy and goofy. It is not overly explicit or gory or anything like that. Matter of fact, like this is one that I remember renting and watching when I was very young. Um, we rented this and a couple of other Animal Attack movies one weekend that our local video store was doing like a five for five kind of thing. So I, I watched this years ago, but I haven't seen it. And I remember it being so much more explicit than what it ended up being. And I think I'm just getting my wires fucking crossed from something like Stephen King's Night Shift or... Food of the Gods. Food of the Gods, yeah. Like something like that is kind of crossing my wires. Well, wasn't there a remake from like 2003 or something? Yes. Because that's the one I think of. And that is what I'm going <laughs> to yeah. try to track down next because that was directed by the guy who did the fucking first Black Christmas remake, oh. which is also like Bug Nuts Insane. Isn't Crispin Glover like Willard in that as well in the 2003 one? Yes, it's Crispin Glover, which <laughs> yeah. that right there is enough. I will fucking yeah. watch it to see that weirdo talking with his weird fucking rats. Arlie Ermey is the asshole boss in the remake, which, yes, sure, down, that makes total sense, right? So I'm very, very curious about it because I have a feeling, based on how insanely over-the-top and campy the Black Xmas remake is, I'm very curious to see what the fuck that Willard is about. Because the original is pretty fucking tame. So that is definitely something I'm going to check out fairly soon. Might report back on that on our next episode. Nice. Second one that I'll bring up, I heard about this on the Pure Cinema calendar episode where they were just going through like all the movies that are going to be showing at the New Beverly Theater in LA, uh, which is Tarantino's theater that he now owns and programs. So they were doing like a whole slam month full of horror shit. But of course, they're doing like a lot of big stuff and cult stuff and a lot of really weird off the wall stuff. And one that they mentioned, I was like, oh shit, I have seen this when I was a kid and watching Kung Fu stuff relentlessly. It is Encounter of the Spooky Kind 2. This is from 1989, directed by Ricky Lau, starring Sammo Hung. <laughs> and Sammo Hung, like for those that don't know that aren't necessarily into like Kung Fu shit, Sammo Hung is basically the like Jack Black of Kung Fu. Tubby, overweight, goofy guy, very comedic, can fight, but has a very comedic style of fighting. So yeah, this is a weird kung fu horror movie that has fucking vampires and zombies and black magic, all kinds of wild shit in it. There is a scene where he fights this dude and this like evil master has the guy under a spell and he's like getting his pet monkey to fight and it's making the like wimpy guy fight extra bad ass and he's cutting flips but he's also hanging from trees and scratching himself like a monkey right it's fucking wild definitely some problematic shit because it's kind of like a romantic comedy as well in the sense that he's trying to like win the affections of his boss's daughter and everybody's standing in the way of that but there's definitely like a female ghost that shows up and helps them out <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck movie is this <laughs> bruh it was fucking hilarious there's literally a scene at the beginning where like Samo hung and his girlfriend go into this crypt to hide out they awaken these two vampires and there's a moment where they're all hanging from a chandelier and the vampire like bites him on the neck and he starts screaming and then his girlfriend looks over and bites the other vampire in the neck and then the 
vampire bites her on the neck and then Samuel Hung finally bites the other vampire and then it's just all four of them biting each other's necks all at the same time. <laughs> just goofy shit like that. The ending is one of the most insane. A, where the fuck did this joke come from? Who set this up? And this is what you chose to like cold, hard fucking end the movie on. It's on the same level as the ending from Pieces or the ending from like Strip Nude for Your Killer where it's like, holy shit, that's what you're going to end this fucking movie on. Off air, listeners, uh, Aaron just told James and I the ending of this movie, which we won't spoil for you, but this sounds like fucking Kung Pao Enter the Fist levels of insanity. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah, Yeah. but with horror. And the one thing I would point out, too, the guy that directed this also directed a lot of the Mr. Vampire movies, which are also horror kung fu movies with this character, Mr. Vampire. I'm definitely going to go check that out. I remember watching those. This is back in the 80s. In New Orleans, there was Kung Fu Theater before Creature Features. There was, yeah, a Mr. Vampire movie, and I even remember I might have been eight or seven, and I was like, what the fuck is this? What does this have to do with Kung Fu? Okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and the vampires in this movie are definitely like Chinese weird vampires with different rules and everything. Like, they're hopping. There's literally a part where he, like, sticks his two fingers out at the guy to, like, poke him in the eyes, and the vampire just latches his two fangs onto the end of his fingers, and you just hear, like, straw-sucking noise. It was just full of slapsticky, goofy shit. I did look up the director, and beyond the Mr. Vampire movies, the director also did this other one with Sam Hung called Where's Officer? Tuba and it's literally like Officer Tuba is haunted by the ghost of his dead partner to avenge his death and the cover is literally Samo Hung dressed as a cop carrying a fucking tuba with a ghost covering over him so this director clearly did a lot of weird horror tinged bullshit well it's funny you mentioned the jumping part by the way because I, I do think there actually is Chinese vampire lore where they jump around like that yeah, yeah almost yeah. like spring Jack yeah there's totally stuff like this that's what I'm saying it's at least interesting because there's totally different rules from the western style of stuff that we're used to seeing and it's at least fun for like the actual martial arts in it is all pretty solid so the last thing i'll bring up and i'm curious if either one of y'all have seen this because everybody's been talking about it lately we watched fucking malignant no i haven't seen it it might be the best lifetime horror movie i've ever seen that is a very very accurate description of it yeah uh Anybody that was upset or mad or disappointed with this movie clearly somehow, like, did not get on the wavelength of what this fucking movie was doing. Like, literally the first scene of this movie is Arkham fucking Asylum built into the edge of a cliff with lightning and shit, and then there's doctors literally screaming, oh my god, we've got to contain it, we've got to cut it out. Just that kind of horse shit. It's ridiculous. It is insane over the top the acting in it is purposely pitched in a ridiculous way it has as much camp as a fucking peewee's playhouse special it's ridiculous that's all i can really say is it is absolutely ridiculous but if you want to watch a really fucking fun group movie like if you have a group of people over and you're all hanging out and drinking watch fucking malignant because that is going to be one that everybody is going to have some crazy shit to say about it yeah not at all the tone i was expecting but like oh yeah i remember no. you telling me that and be like it's not what i expected but i'm interested anyway i still like think it'll be a great watch it's insane 
all I'll say is this. Stunt woman extraordinaire Zoe Bell has a cameo where she plays a female, like, prisoner named Scorpion. Yeah. <laughs> and in that same cell, there is also another actress basically dresses Cleopatra Jones. What? I, uh, there's a fight scene that is straight out of the fucking Matrix. There is insane gore. There's insane camera and lighting shit. The previews make it look like it's like Insidious or some shit. Oh, Insidious <laughs> is campy. Don't get me wrong. Insidious is certainly campy, but Insidious is taking itself seriously. This movie is not taking itself seriously at the fuck all. So anybody that's like, oh, I thought James Wan was like a master of horror for the modern age, blah, blah, blah. Like, how could he go from Saw and Insidious and The Conjuring to this? Um, like, you haven't been paying attention because he's definitely got some fucking wild camp going through all of his movies and they're all heightened and they're all ridiculous and they're all tonally pitched in a way that is made to be more fun roller coastery than like dark dire serious. You know what I mean? So it's fun. It's on fucking HBO. Just watch it for Christ's sake. <laughs> get a group together, get drunk and watch it because it's a hoot. It is definitely ridiculous. I will say, though, I 97% guessed exactly what was happening just based on the opening credits. Um, it's that on the nose. So it also trips me out when people are like, man, I never would have guessed where that movie went. Nah, really? Yeah, really? Exactly. <laughs> By the opening credits, it literally spells the entire movie out for you and like what the twist is and everything. So again, just I, I'm not sure like the people that were surprised by this movie, like what were you really surprised about? <laughs> How did you not like get on the wavelength of this movie right from the beginning? Awesome. Well, we spent a long time on recommendations. Thank Thank you yeah. audience who stuck <laughs> around but hey james anytime you're on we love talking horror with you so it was great especially to talk about the halloween franchise with with you oh of course that could be an episode in and of itself well eventually it will be well eventually we are going to make our way through the halloween movies uh but this is our halloween episode it's going to be extra special extra long for us so with that boys y'all ready we're gonna dig into 2002's british action horror film with werewolves directed and written by neil marshall dog soldiers i had a cracking story about this place the young couple were hiking through these woods during the night something happened guys uh five minutes in and we get a dead dog huh that's that's the, way, that's the way we're gonna do this so yeah five minutes in we get a dead dog we've got the uss indianapolis speech already oh bruh there are like eight black like a dollar's eyes speeches in this movie and seven of them come from one character 
But yeah, Aaron, I think you're right. I had mentioned that on the other episodes. I'm kind of sick of seeing werewolves just be chumps, easily get taken out. That's like kind of a weird small gripe of mine with werewolves. I feel like they should be more like they're killed too easily. Forces of nature, yeah. unstoppable kill. Yeah, and this movie addresses that. They are very hard to kill. They are extremely dangerous. The reveal of them is great because like it's just like they wander upon another team of soldiers who already got taken out, and they just find the grizzly remains. That fucking scene, the the cow scene, is like one of the best jump scare moments. <laughs> and it's it's not like it's not scary. Like I mean, it is. Kind kind of scary it's kind of scary but it's definitely played for laughs yeah but that fucking like story he tells about like the guy who like just stepped on a landmine randomly and was just poof gone and then they just found bits and pieces of him around them just kind of sitting quietly after that and then one guy trying to like lighten the mood up by starting to tell a joke and then that fucking cow landing like in their campsite (laughs) was amazing so the werewolf creature design and i'm sure we'll come back to this but the werewolf creature design is very modern take of kind of hulking like like humanoid bipedal werewolves very much like what you would imagine is in your head when you think of a werewolf nowadays and i definitely dig the design of the werewolves in this i mean a it's all practical yeah yes which makes that it's great performers yeah. in suits there's no cgi and kind of like we joked about with ginger snaps it was kind of the same reason we're like okay you know we don't want to do cgi because right now in 2002 it's super shitty and it's super expensive it was in that weird limbo period where you still had a lot of people using practicals because practicals were cheaper and now it's kind of just the fucking opposite where like you couldn't literally do decent enough passable cgi on a really amateur level but it's kind of difficult to get a studio with the capabilities to actually churn out practicals Right. right now this horror movie i would put in like the category of our badass horror movies that i was smiling ear to ear like the whole fucking time through this movie you could make the argument that this is either more of a horror movie than an action movie or more of an action movie than a horror movie like it could go either way because it's just balanced so well and i was kind of surprised at how many like slower moments and drama moments there were it is interesting granted and we'll get into like how hard it was to actually watch this movie because it's fucking nowhere right now apparently but like maybe it was the quality i was watching but it did feel like in the slower scenes like when they're just kind of all talking it felt like a stage play a little bit or even like going back to like aaron what you mentioned with malignant like kind of a lifetime movie feel to it especially when they're all in the house and it's in between werewolf attacks i don't know did you guys kind of get that feeling from it or was that maybe just the version i watched it was lower quality and so it had that effect so there is an answer to that the current hd version of the movie that's available was pulled from actual used theatrical 35 elements okay when they went to go do the scream factory blu-ray nobody knew where the negatives were in the last couple of years the negatives have been located and so apparently coke media did like a 4k blu-ray in germany and second sight out of the uk is about to do a new release based on this new master they haven't said whether or not their version is going to be 4k or not we'll see but there is apparently a much cleaner looking version of this movie out there but i agree with you i like the chamber drama quality of this movie yeah it actually kind of worked for this movie when you are doing low budget like this they always recommend keep your cast small 
Keep your locations tight. Don't go all over the place. Don't try to blow up the world. Have a smaller contained story that you can manage. Also, too, like containing them in a house for a lot of the story, right, helps because then, like, you can make the werewolves not only, like, more mysterious and, like, their full appearance more effective or, like, when they do appear, it's a little bit more effective, but you can also save money because you can kind of hide their appearance more. Yeah, totally. And you don't have to have them, like, in every single scene. They're more of, like, a blur rather than, like, a full-blown creature until the very end of the movie. Kind of like a Jaws aspect of that. Yeah, Where yeah. it's, you have camera movement and you have camera angles. You have the actual drama. A couple of things pop out, like an arm through a door. Yeah. But you're not getting that full-on effect, but it's still highly effective in that way. Yeah. Yeah. We, we touched on it at the beginning of this episode, but James, we wanted to have you on specifically. Well, I mean, we haven't had you on in a little while, but on top of that, we wanted to have you on for this movie specifically because you had mentioned in a past episode that you wanted to see more military horror where like guys who think they have their shit together run into something like they are not expecting and there kind of is no answer for, at least they don't know right away and it, they're completely unprepared. Is this kind of like what you're looking for more of this type of movie? Yeah. Definitely, I might get a little bit military nerd with this, but um, if you're looking at the movie, this particular movie, you see a group of the main set of characters who are a group of British Army infantrymen. And they do what regular military guys do. They joke around. They have little quips at each other. They have a semi-joking pecking order. But then at the same time, they're professional soldiers. And they know how to deal with things that they're trained to deal with. And then also before, you have a group of SAS soldiers, British Special Forces soldiers, who go out with a plan in mind and they get clean swept. So the actual set of characters going in and seeing this and they're like, well, what the fuck? What are we dealing with? And then when they're thrust into the situation, it's like, okay, well, what the hell is this? We got to fight our way out. We have to think logically and rationally about this. But then at the same time, we have to be soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also like brothers in arms, though, too. Right. I'm only half kidding when this I say this movie has moments that feel like a few good men are saving Private Ryan just with werewolf shit. Or even like Metal Gear Solid. It feels like some of the speeches are just straight out of like these kind of like heavy war drama, except you have werewolves in the background. Right. Honestly, there's two aspects of this that I looked at. One to me, and this is the way I felt about it years ago, because I actually watched this in Germany when I was in the army the first time to compare to one of the greatest films ever made it has a aliens quality to it yeah even a starship troopers quality to it too even a little bit yeah exactly yeah but yeah I completely agree with you yeah we go in prepared we go in ready to kick ass and oh that gets flipped on its head completely and also a highly funny thing and I don't know if this would ever be mentioned later on uh the guy that plays Cooper Kevin McKidd at the time when I watched this the first time I didn't think of this but years later because it's been what 19 years since it came out yeah i've played every call of duty game (laughs) since they've come out when i was listening to uh kevin mckid talk i was like god he sounds really familiar and then i thought to myself like oh shit soap that's soap he played soap on modern warfare 2 and modern warfare 3 i was like oh fuck well here's the ultimate friggin gaming soldier in this situation as the person leading shit and having to keep everything together whilst kicking ass and trying to survive yeah 
Yeah. So that that was the thing that I took when I was watching it again, and I was like, "Holy fuck!" But uh, yeah, you have your you have your brothers in arms, you have your fellow soldiers, and your leadership, and you want to solve a problem. You want to get back. You want to drink beer. You want to go to a strip club. You want whatever you want to do as a soldier. But in this particular situation, you have these big ass super werewolves, and it was. Going back to something you said earlier, these werewolves are actually really quite terrifying. Yeah. Personally, I do think werewolves, werewolves are much more scary to me. They always have been than vampires because I can count on two fingers the vampires that have ever kind of creeped me out in the film. But these werewolves that they have, they're just animalistic enough to be unstoppable but just smart enough to where it's like you really got to be on your feet yeah and that was the thing about it that that i really really liked about it they did feel like a real threat through this entire movie um which is not something that you find in a lot of these kind of creature feature movies or even werewolf movies i love the way that they talk about how do you put one down with silver but a lot of it is show don't tell i mean they do mention silver at one point because like they are gunning down these fucking werewolves and the werewolves are like getting blown backwards <laughs> you hear dog yelps dog, yeah. and you hear dog yelps but really it's just stunning them the copper lead is just putting them down for a second and then they are rising back up that's not what kills them that's the werewolf i've been wanting is this no you need silver to like actually harm these things and like yeah you can stun them for a minute and make them back off for a bit but like they're gonna come back they're like michael myers even like you can put them down for a few seconds but he's gonna stand back up and start coming after you again yeah yeah i think with that traditionally i guess historically by appearance a werewolf that really even to this day one of those things where it's like if i saw this thing i'd probably shit myself was the werewolf from an american werewolf in london (laughs) it's a good design yeah yeah but at the same time at the end of the day they just shoot it yeah they shoot them (laughs) with regular bullets and that's it but these yeah they'd hit them and they'd keep coming and it was just like what the fuck yeah and it got to a point it's like well what the fuck do we do well we need to just wait it out yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's just like we're trying to wait till morning not all of us are going to survive but we're going to do our best to try and make it that way i don't think this is a particularly scary movie even for horror newbies it is very much a horror action movie it's almost seemed like a war movie but with just werewolves in terms of actual like werewolves being terrifying i think american werewolf in london and the back end of ginger snaps are like some of the more horrifying scenes involving werewolves in them but the difference with this movie is that the werewolves are very hard to put down and yeah. remain a constant threat and are a threat from the beginning to the end when they're on when they show up so i do think horror movies yeah i'd watch this movie it's pretty fucking rad but at the same time i also think you should watch event horizon and apparently that scares the shit out of a lot of people but <laughs> i think that movie's rad too yeah well what's funny is to me neil marshall same director same writer his movie after that was the descent yeah and the descent is hands down claustrophobic yes terrifying shit there's nothing comical there's nothing oh let, let's just like you know we're all together it, it's just a a breakdown of situation and just pure fucking paranoia, fear, and so on. And this was not. Yeah, there's a comedic edge to this movie, but like a comedic edge, again, in the same way that there's a comedic edge in Aliens or Starship Troopers. Right. It's not a comedy first, but because you have these alpha male, but also brother-in-arms type characters, you're gonna have 
some comedy in that between them. Yeah, and th- another aspect of that with that is the fact that one of the things that people who were in the military talk about is the fact that we have a lot of black comical yeah. things. Gallows humor, yeah. Yeah, no matter what the situation, and I can personally attest to that, So, and you see a lot of that in this. Yeah, I think at the, the very core of this movie, it goes down, and I'm sure, Aaron, you had this in your notes, but like it goes down to back in the ni- mid-90s, Neil Marshall originally pitched this to a, a producer with this idea of a low-budget soldiers versus werewolves movie. But I think that is the core of this movie, is a low-budget soldiers versus werewolves movie at the end of the day. It has all these uh, homages to like, H.G. Wells and Evil Dead and Aliens and everything else. But I think before anything else, it's almost like trying to be a newer creature feature, but also like kind of exactly what you've been looking for, James, like a military horror movie. But uh, I'll kind of let the development and directing and all that fall to Aaron because he usually is way more involved in researching that than I am. There's not a whole lot to this, honestly. Like Marshall wrote the first draft and first pitched the idea to producer Keith Bell in 95. He had been working as an editor previously and this was his first feature right they said they kind of wanted to keep the focus on the soldiers and not really get into the lore and the mechanics of how the werewolves work which is great i think that is a great call and that's what the movie does things really started coming together when marshall and bell got hooked up with christopher fig who was a producer for nightbreed and hellraiser and i mean hellraiser even to this point that this movie got made was still kind of like the premier british horror movie Right, So it was kind of a big deal that they landed him as a producer. We were talking about the werewolf designs earlier. Dave Bonniewell is kind of most attributed to like what the final werewolf design is. And I do like that design to kind of circle back around to that. They're not entirely hairy. They mostly just have a shaggy mane around the head and they're pretty like lithe and hairless for the most part. But I do like that they're fucking tall as shit, right? They're huge and imposing. And I do like that they're heads are more dog-like they're more wolf-like they don't have a like werewolf look to them if that makes any sense i'm thinking of big like the howling kind of werewolves that have really big ears and a long snout kind of thing like these look like timber wolves yeah but see to me like i thought this was kind of more modern take werewolf than either ginger snaps or american werewolf in london was i think mostly because this is a werewolf that's bipedal yeah which that's not a new idea per se but to your point movies for several years had been doing well let's do a grounded werewolf that is like on all fours and is more animalistic and more of a wolf and less of a man but the design of the werewolves in this is fucking killer and they were all played by dancers specifically to kind of get the body movements and some of the like look and feel and behaviors down a little bit better so it's not actually like stunt performers necessarily which is kind of fucking cool because again they did the same exact thing with aliens to james's point earlier like the aliens in that movie like have a weird kind of ethereal quality to them you know same thing here and you know too like one thing i do appreciate about this movie in general one common thing and i i'm guilty of saying this whenever people talk about like why are there not that many werewolf movies okay well a lot of the excuses like werewolf movies are difficult to pull off because you have to do 
transformations, right? Like, it's so much of it relies on the complexities of making the transformation work. Obviously, American Wolf in London was the gold fucking standard for that. It won an Oscar. Rob Bottin's work on The Howling the year later, also, like, massively important. So, so many werewolf movies relied on, like, we gotta have a cool transformation scene or it's not worth anything. And I love that this movie... They just opt to avoid that expense altogether by not having a transformation at all, right? Yeah, and when they do it, they write it in cleverly because they all make it to that house that clearly is lived in, but no one's in it, and they just think it's the uh, zoologist, her house, but even she's kind of like... Well, no, she says it's the family. Like the family, yeah. But then there's just kind of a dot, 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 where's the family? Family, and like they slowly reveal spoilers for Dark Soldiers, but it's not important to the plot. They slowly reveal that the family are the werewolves but you never see them in human form they're just there and i do love through certain parts of the, the movie like even, it's actually pretty late in the movie you like find the bones of like all the people that they've eaten in the past yeah. <laughs> throughout their house so speaking of you mentioned event horizon a minute ago a sean pertwee that's in this was in event horizon which jesus christ sean pertwee is the mvp of this movie by far fucking sergeant harry g wells is a fucking badass in this movie are you kidding me yeah but b at the end where they're in the basement and you see the dead bodies like hanging from the ceiling one of those chopped in half corpses was fucking made for event horizon it's one of like the dead bodies that you see in like the hellscape scenes so yeah there's like some interesting little connections here and there like that but yeah like i like the fact that the movie like totally avoids doing transformations entire like even liam cunningham later in the movie when he turns you give him the contacts shows the teeth he kind of goes down below the table and you see his fucking fingernails and then he just stands up as a full-ass werewolf like that's it right like just completely avoid all the expensive practicals because you're never going to fucking top those other two movies I mentioned and just avoid shitty CGI altogether too. Done. Problem solved. The two hints at transforming are really three hints, but the two main ones are him, Davos himself, mid-transformation, and then, again, spoiler for Dog Soldiers, the zoologist, it's revealed that she's also a werewolf. I like the actress and I liked her performance, but as far as the actual character's motivations, like if there's a weak part of this movie, it was her because I wasn't quite 100% sure on like what is she actually trying to do like she she says she hates being a werewolf and being part of this family and she was I guess kind of hoping the soldiers would figure this out but then like by the end she's like well fuck it they're all gonna die so I'm gonna help the werewolves now and commit that was the only weak part of this movie for me were that character's motivations but this was something I wanted to ask you guys she makes it sound like she was a werewolf for a while and she's been part of this family for a while but then, like, there's that scene where, like, highlights that she cuts her hand on the window, like, where Werewolf just got, like, blasted out of the window. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it almost made it seem like the blood from the werewolf was on the glass, cut her hand, and got into her, and that's how she got cursed. But then again, why didn't she transform with the full moon and all that, like the rest of the family did? So that's the thing, I guess. Because this movie avoids discussing the mechanics, you don't really get these answers, right? Did the family transform? with the full moon were we ever actually explicitly told that right or could they just transform when they wanted to yeah yeah are they just going out to hunt and feed because she clearly can just transform at will there's not really any hard and fast on the rules because again the movie's 
purposely avoiding discussing that. The thing with the glass, though, was very purposeful, but not necessarily to, like, show that's how she gets transformed. I mean, that's supposed to be kind of your first... Her healing factor? Yes, that's supposed to be kind of the first hint that there's something more going on with her because that heals right up. But apparently, and I mean, you know, I don't know how apocryphal this is necessarily, but supposedly that was going to be a setup for sequels. Marshall supposedly had a fucking plan for two more sequels all said and done, and they just never have happened. They were going to kind of revolve around the idea of werewolf blood and DNA and trying to extract stuff from that. So, like, her cutting her finger on the glass was supposed to be some kind of setup for later dot 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 yeah and they just never fully went there going back to like her mid transformation towards the end and like the mid transformation of liam cunningham that's actually some pretty like striking imagery like i know it's just at the end of the day it's just contacts some fangs maybe a little bit of makeup and like the long fingernails but like they both look pretty terrifying like when they're like mid transform like that and i remember that also sort of being the case with an american werewolf in london the mid transform where they're still mostly human but they're also turning wolf was pretty striking and I mean, even Ginger Snaps, some of the mid-wolf areas of that character were also kind of disturbing to look at. So oh, that's a trope in werewolf movies I do like to see sometimes. Not quite human, not quite wolf. The in-between is kind of terrifying as fuck. <laughs> the stage three of Animorphs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like we have Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall did The Descent. He did Doomsday, which is a wild movie that I actually kind of like. Uh, um, British Escape from New York. Yeah, yeah, British Escape from New York. It's not a great movie, but I do kind of like it he did that hellboy movie from 2019 which i know it broke your heart aaron i've talked about i don't want to talk about it again has he done anything else like i, I saw he did like a segment in tales of halloween so he did the descent centurion doomsday he just had a new one is on shutter right now called the reckoning which is a like witch trial movie but he's done a lot of tv in the last few years so he did episodes of lost in space and constantine and hannibal and Westworld. What he has kind of gotten a lot of attention for though, and it makes total sense given his background, he did two of the like really big major battle episodes for Game of Thrones in the first few seasons. So he did the big Battle of Blackwater Bay episode in season two, and then he did the big Attack on the Wall episode in season three. This is why he was a good fit for those because, you know, the Descent and this movie especially show you know, coming from an editing background, he meticulously plans out what he wants. He plans out his shots. He plans out how they're going to do things. He plans out how everything fits together because he thinks like a puzzle maker and he can see how all the bits and pieces fit together. He also knows how to do things in cheap, low budget kind of ways where you don't really have to actually have a lot of scale, but you can kind of cheat and fake it and make it look like there's a lot more going on than there actually is. You know, again, I'm thinking about like that episode of Game of Thrones, the Blackwater episode. So much of that was people shot on smaller sets and then they just kind of built and added that stuff and mixed and matched and changed things around. Like in The Descent, you would think they're in this whole huge cave system. They never fucking are. They built these giant chunks of cave walls in a studio but they built them in a way that they can mix and match them and redesign them. Yeah, that's so And that way, like, it never looks like you're in the same place, right? They can literally just break the pieces apart, rearrange them, and boom, you have a different cave area. So he's good at those things. And on that note, in this movie, the cottage, right, that most of the movie takes place in, 
the outside of that cottage, whenever you see the exteriors, that's all fake. That's just a facade. There is no cottage there. They literally built the front of a house and like one of the sides on scaffolding and that's it. The inside of that cottage is all sets and it's all sets that are designed to break apart and move around. Talk about have a feeling of a stage play again. Yeah, exactly. And so they designed the entire inside to where they can shoot however they want. And that literally was the set designer building a fucking model of the entire cottage and then figuring out from a blocking standpoint, okay, everybody's going to go here. This guy's going to go here. They're going to fall through the ceiling here and land here and just kind of planning all that out and figuring out, okay, so we need to build this room to where this piece of the wall can move out of the way and the camera can get in so all of it's designed to be modular and they know exactly what they're shooting but that means that they're going in they're knocking out pages every day and they're shooting exactly the stuff that they need to go back in and like edit and put it all together you know there's probably a lot of coverage on his movies i would assume with the amount of cuts that he does as well and that's my one criticism i would say is all of his movies are just so staccato in their editing there's so much cutting in his movies but at the end of the day like he knows what he wants wants to kind of put everything together correctly. It's kind of funny you mention that because another just small gripe I have is I would have cut this movie down to maybe just an hour and a half or an hour 35 minutes. It felt like it was just maybe 10 minutes a little too yeah yeah, 10 minutes a little too long like you could have maybe cut down some of the house scenes where it's just them meandering around talking and like it's fun to watch because the dialogue is very snappy and the actors are fun but you know you could have maybe cut some of that down yeah I don't know but I would have just cut like maybe 10 minutes from this movie. He also seems to be a guy who, like, with certain actors, he can direct them in multiple things. Because, like, Liam Cunningham is Davos, and, you know, he yes. did two Game of Thrones episodes. I saw that he did some stuff with uh, Sean Pertwee as well. He did more than just Dog Soldiers with him. He was in Doomsday, wasn't he? Yes. And I want to say... Either he's in the Reckoning. He's in the or Reckoning. He's in Centurion. Yeah. He's in the Reckoning. Liam Cunningham is in Centurion. Right. Okay. Yeah. Emma Cleesby that plays Megan in this was also in Doomsday. So yeah, he's definitely worked with a lot of these same people again. And one funny thing that I kind of noticed listening to some of the making of featurettes that are on the Shout Factory Blu-ray of this, it seems like every cast and crew member seems to recall getting involved with this movie after meeting with. With Marshall and getting fucking wasted. <laughs> Everybody has a story where it's like, yeah, he called me up one weekend and we went and we hung out and, uh, you know, we like, you know, drank an entire bottle of whiskey and like, you know, passed the fuck out. And then I was like, yeah, I'll do this fucking movie with you, mate. Like, just everybody's story was basically that. But like, that's the energy of this that everyone's bringing to this movie. Like, because it yes. works because they're all soldiers. And uh, James, you can attest, soldiers like to fucking drink. <laughs> yeah. A lot. And talk shit. Yeah, and talk <laughs> shit. I could imagine you, James, if you were in this situation or if Werewolf was about to, like, rip out your guts, you'd be talking shit to the very end. Yeah, I mean, you get to a point where it's like, well, fuck it. This is it. I might as well get my last bit of wit inside of me. So there you go. Yeah. So, like, the most, like, soldier thing to this movie, and it's fucking outrageous when you talk about it like this. It works in this movie. A dude fucking fist fights a werewolf in a kitchen. <laughs> and, like, the guy knows he's... 
he's fucking dead. A dude fist fights a werewolf, but then there is also fucking Chekhov's sword as well, and you know that fucking sword is going to get used. Oh, yeah, Even more than the sword, there's Chekhov's letter opener, because it's a silver letter opener <laughs> that those campers yeah. have before they get murdered. At the very beginning of this movie, the whole movie, I'm like, where's the letter opener? It's coming into play, I know it is. Yeah. It shows up at the very end for him to like kill the final wolf and escape. Yeah, I'd seen where he's fist fighting the werewolf. He's actually kicking the shit out of it and then the second one comes in and he realizes he's, he's fucked and he has like the best final words that I've heard from a character in a while <laughs> where he's just like I hope I give you all the shits or something like that. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. The cast in this is pretty solid. You know, you mentioned Kevin McKidd earlier who plays Private Cooper. He was in Train Spotting, Topsy Turvy, Kingdom of Heaven, Rome brave Uh, he's done a lot of voice stuff so again brave call of duty like you mentioned earlier star wars rebels he's one of like the mandalorian officers in that he also cracked a fucking rib first two days of filming and tried to hide it from everyone out of fear that he was going to be recast and eventually he was just like fuck it i'm dying yeah no shit (laughs) marshall tried to recast him with fucking jason statham oh wow oh wow yeah would not have played out no no this would have been a very different movie kevin mckid at least looks like he's having fun and kind of has a sense of humor about himself jason statham would not have jason statham would have been like the most stick in the mud i always have to be the coolest guy yeah well you know me we're gonna have to do this yeah and we're gonna fucking do it yeah yeah you know that type of shit which it doesn't work when you already have wells who like so i love how wells is a badass he's immediately like gutted by a werewolf but he survives <laughs> out <laughs> they fucking like use glue to stitch him up and then of course you can see where this is going like you know he's cursed by the werewolf so he's fast healing and he and you know halfway through the movie you realize like oh shit i'm gonna become a werewolf soon while he is such a badass most of this movie he's injured and that's kind of opens the door for cooper to like step up his leadership but at the same time kevin mckid does such a good job he's still private cooper to wells while he is kind of getting everyone in line and like taking command he still respects wells as the leadership but wells is kind of incapacitated at certain moments where he just he can't be there yeah but wells is like the badass this movie but pertwee also seems like he's having the time of his life and isn't a stick in the mud we were saying like a jason statham might be yeah i mean they all seem like they're having fun for sure so i mean the casting in this is solid and to that point apparently simon Pegg was originally offered a role and he turned it down so i mean that's the kind of person that they were kind of looking for for this movie you know it's somebody that can do the action stuff can do the like soldier stuff but that has a sense of humor that you can kind of buy you know so uh, yeah we have those guys sean pertwee like we mentioned was in event horizon (laughs) shopping he was in the fucking great soldier with kurt russell greatest film ever made that's kind of thing sean pertwee like i always enjoy him when he pops up but he's in event horizon he's in soldier he's in equilibrium aka gun fu yeah he is yeah he was i forgot about that he's in doomsday and he is all also fucking alfred in the gotham show that was on for years yeah so yeah like i said i enjoy him when he shows up and stuff he just tends to show up in a lot of stuff that's you know kind of questionable <laughs> like, aside i am kind of shocked you don't like doomsday more i feel like doomsday would be more up your alley you know what it should be it should be because i fucking love escape from new york like james was saying it's just fucking scottish escape from new york but there's just something about the 
the staccato editing in it and just I don't know like there's just something about that movie that like I can't vibe with for some reason Liam Cunningham that plays Captain Ryan like we mentioned he was in Game of Thrones he plays Davos which is where most people would know him from now but he was also in First Night he was in The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Uh, he was in Harry Brown. He was in Centurion. He was in Clash of the Titans. And he was in War Horse. And man, is he a fucking good bad guy in this movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty solid bad guy. I definitely dig it. Anytime that you have this type of movie, the special forces guys, the like black ops guys are always the dudes who are like fucked, right? Those are always the dudes that are like doing the most fucked up shit. And yeah, they're never redeemable. I'm just thinking like unrelated to horror, but like the abyss, James Cameron's the abyss. Yeah. Same thing. The Michael Bean character and all of his other like Navy SEALs dudes are like the most fucked up dudes in that movie. <laughs> well, let's take a nuke and blow up a trench. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot yeah, that totally. was a plot point. Kind of going to, and maybe this was set up for sequels as well, but it, it does work for this movie where, like, it's just mentioned and you are never revealed the semantics of it. When Liam Cunningham finally confesses what they were doing, like, it was supposed to be that Sergeant Wells and Private Cooper's platoon, they were actually going to be the bait for one werewolf, and the special yeah. forces guy led by Liam Cunningham were going to capture that werewolf to be experimented on by the government for super soldiers and that's such a wild plot point thing but it's never like fully explored in this movie but for the better it's like left very open-ended so the government knows werewolves exist but <laughs> yeah. the reason why cunningham's unit gets fucking taken out is they don't realize that it's a whole family of werewolves not just him and going back to what we were saying earlier maybe these people can transform at will they kill him like i guess the day or night before i know like a full moon can be more than one night but that does kind kind of leave it open to like maybe these people can just transform when they need to sure yeah so a couple things uh shooting a military dog a trained military dog seems like a bad idea that would definitely get you investigated because uh there's a lot of money that goes into training those dogs am i wrong yes. <laughs> like, yeah. that seems like that would be a bad idea there was an incident uh i want to say it was either in germany or when i was in arizona and the military police dogs completely off topic but they had a dui checkpoint coming in the post and they had the police dog there and one of this one of the soldiers came on and he was drunk as shit and then he just punched one of the military dogs Oof. and he got charged with assaulting a non-commissioned officer because the dog counts as a non-commissioned officer in the army well yeah <laughs> they award the dogs too right they give out awards for like excellence yeah. in combat and stuff like that i remember watching something it might have been like one of those things where you get two military experts and they watch stuff from a video game and comment of like how realistic this military shooter is well one of the guys was talking about how like and he he was like a former green beret or special forces or something and he was talking about the fucking dogs are awesome but also really effective in combat he joked he's just like when we were in afghanistan or iraq or wherever we were and we were seeing combat we joked that dog had more kills than our entire platoon combined because they are trained to completely annihilate enemy yeah and so yeah i agree 
agree. I think shooting one, even if it's for special forces training, I think Aaron is right. I think that's a big, big no-no. Yeah, because he plays it off in the movie as whatever. Like, I'm not going to get in trouble. It's just a fucking dog. That dog is hours and hours of training and like gajillions of dollars of like investment. No way. You would be fucking investigated in a heartbeat, bro. (laughs) Even if you are black ops. Yeah. So yeah, like that kind of cracked me up. You know, as far as other military stuff goes. So the scene where like the helicopter lands at the beginning and they all jump out of the helicopter. None of the actors did that because none of them were fucking insured for that stunt. But since most of the fucking crew was ex-military, they are the ones that did the stunt. They're like, fuck it, put us in the costumes and we'll do the jump. (laughs) So they just like totally improv that shit. The only thing missing was Fortunate Son from that that scene. (laughs) Well, I mean, if this was a US movie, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Or Long Tall Sally is another. Yeah, I don't don't know like what the UK equivalent to that would have been. Some drinking song or something. I don't know. (laughs) Which, yeah, to that point too, there's so many fucking references and homages in this movie. Like they literally reference Evil Dead, The Matrix, Zulu, H.G. Wells, fucking Nursery Rhymes, Star Trek. So many things are kind of peppered in and name dropped, but it's kind of fun because that's kind of how real life groups of people talk, right? There's like a weird shorthand and there's jokes and you reference things that you know. It's not fan service for the sake of fan service. Exactly. It doesn't feel like fan service. It feels just how these dudes would talk. It's not like Ready Player One bullshit. Yeah, yeah. When we're in a group of people and like we all share the same interests, We'd be quoting parts of movies to each other. Yeah. Fucking what we do in our podcast, the Sally bit from the original Texas Chainsaw. Outside of that, the way that we joke still about Kelver girl, like I'll never not fucking <laughs> yeah. say that every <laughs> single time, right? But, you know, there's some other little like bits and pieces of things strewn throughout the movie as far as clues go, right? So I love the scene where they first get to the cottage there's food on the stove and they go to check it out and they're like, okay, yeah, what is that? And like, oh, pork, probably. And then you see all the fucking bodies later and uh, yeah. <laughs> what kind of meat does human often get equated to, right? Pork stew, huh? Long pig. Yeah, yeah. they were eating. Like, they show scenes of them, like, just taking their food. In fact, the zoologist reprimands them for eating, like, the people's food. Yeah. And so, like, they may have just cannibalized and didn't even know it. Oh, yeah. The fucking family, their last name is Uf, which is a Celtic word for horror. Like, it literally <laughs> just means fucking horror. <laughs> Uh, I do love that the moment where Megan sits down and it's playing the piano. She's playing fucking Debussy's Claire de Lune, which is like one of my all-time favorite classical pieces.
Claire de Lune means what? Fucking moonbeam, right? So, like, how <laughs> on the nose can we get there? Yeah, the only other song I could think of that would be just as on the nose is Moonlight Sonata, if she was playing yeah. that. But that, <laughs> that might have been a little more on the nose. And see, I, I'm glad that they didn't just go with fucking Moonlight Sonata, right? That's a little too drudgy and dire, and that would mm-hmm. be too in tone with what it should be. Claire de Lune is such a, like, warm, upbeat, hopeful, beautiful kind of song. And so it works because it's in direct opposition to like the hopelessness of what the fuck they're dealing with i like that detail the other thing that kind of cracked me up and i guess this is just based on this last year of my work where i've been or i was helping people from the uk one thing i've joked about is uh i've learned that people from the uk fucking hate driving do not like to fucking drive right you know i was working support and sometimes you would have to be like cool so the nearest location that you need to go to is you know seven kilometers away and you would have people freak the fuck out like seven kilometers are you fucking kidding me i can't fucking go seven kilometers you think i've got all the time in the day to drive seven kilometers to that store it's like five miles chill the fuck out i could walk five miles right now like that's not that big of a deal jesus christ right so it cracks me up that toward the beginning they're like where the hell are we right now and they're like well we're in scotland we're in the highlands where's the nearest town where's the nearest city center it's four hours away there's literally no point in that part of the country where you're going to be four hours away from anything, let alone, like, the nearest city. You could drive from, like, one end of fucking Scotland to the other, and it won't be four hours, right? So, like, there's no fucking way that they're four hours from the nearest town, from wherever they are in the woods, right? But it did just crack me up, because it was completely that whole idea of people from the UK fucking hate to drive, or go any distance (laughs) that's, like, more than ten kilometers, right? So you're saying it might have been, like, twenty minutes away, and they would have been fine, exactly. but they just that's, didn't feel like that's exactly what miles. I'm saying. It's <laughs> four hours. Yeah, the nearest town is actually like a brisk 30 minute walk, <laughs> and to them it's like four hours. Oh my god, that was a weird detail. I fucking love to like all their other weird UK slang, like saying fucking bone all the time. Like, oh, this is fucking bone, mate. <laughs> I think someone uses take the piss at once, which is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. The one I didn't get was we're gonna nick your video, and I get nick as in like you know cut right but like what is video what is nick your video what does that mean I googled real quick, didn't find a fucking answer to that one. So kind of going with the writing too, uh, and this was something that like kind of even if we want to use it against the two movies we've already done, The Wolfman and Ginger Snaps, Marshall didn't want it to just be like the cliche werewolf movie of like how much does it suck to be a werewolf and this is a curse. He just wanted it to be like a soldiers versus a supernatural enemy and the enemy happens to be werewolves and that's it. Otherwise the werewolves are killing machines and he didn't want to explore at all like, oh, it sucks being werewolf, which he does it with the zoologist character being like she hates being cursed. But beyond that, like that's like what two minutes, and like otherwise yeah, yeah. he's kind of right. As much as I really enjoyed Ginger Snaps and even watching The Wolfman, those two movies, and even American Werewolf in London, it is very much about like this is a curse, this fucking sucks, I'm doomed. Whereas this movie just doesn't have time for that. Yeah. And while I do like that trope, it was a breath of fresh air to see a were- werewolf movie where the werewolves were just being badasses and they're the enemy 
they're the monster and that's it there's no like rhyme or reason that the movie explores as to why they are this way they just are and the soldiers need to like somehow survive yeah so last thing i have to mention this was your first time watching this derek james i know you've seen this before but where did you first see this movie because and i had to like look this up to make sure I distinctly remember watching this on Sci-Fi Channel, and it was like a Sci-Fi Channel original movie, and then I thought I was kind of going crazy, because I was like, no, this was like a real movie that came out, but wait, it never went to theaters, what the fuck, and I looked it up, and sure enough, this was like a Sci-Fi Channel original movie in the US, so is that how you first saw it, or did you like watch it afterward like as a rental or something? No, I first saw it, and I'm gonna give a shout out to one of my friends and former battle buddies, Lynette Ferrari. She mentioned it to me when we were in Germany. Okay. One of the things that was actually kind of cool about living overseas, in particular living in Germany, they still had video stores. So you go and rent movies. Yeah. However, certain movies were released either well before their release in the United States under any format and in any environment. So I want to say... I went to the video store and I rented it. I remember she had mentioned it and I was like, okay, fuck it, I'll rent it. And I rented it and I was like, oh shit, this is good. And same thing with The Descent. I watched The Descent probably literally a year and a half before it got released in the United States under any format. I don't know if it was because it was a European film in that regard and they were just like, fuck it, we just have it and release it because they did a lot of that with uh, European-based films. So that was the first time I... I had heard of it and then watched it in that regard. Cool. Gotcha. Real quick, Aaron, before like we do wrap this up, just kind of out of curiosity, was there any person on for effects in this movie? Was it more of just a production company? No, I mean, there were like two or three dudes that did the effects for this. Like I mentioned, Dave Bonniewell like came up with the main design. And there was another guy, I mean, my brain is shortened out right now thinking about it. He's the one that like practically built them. But yeah, like it was just two or three guys who just, this is their bag, you know, did it. It was like a big effects group that did them necessarily. To wrap things up, I would say that like, again, I would put this movie in the same category of badass action horror like an event horizon where it's not necessarily like deep diving into any major themes but it is kind of touching on just like tropes and everyday things that um, we take for granted like the idea of a group of soldiers and how kind of preparation can go out the window sometimes that type of fear of like you can prepare as much as you want but some things are just out of your control out of in this case it's a pack of werewolves we like to talk about the fears and phobias in this movie but every once in a while i do just like to watch a movie that is just fun yeah and this is just a fun movie like i said i had a smile from ear to ear the whole time scratch the itch of werewolves i wanted it to i think it was a great way to wrap up this halloween because we kind of ran the gambit of werewolves with the beginning of the lore to more of a deep dive thematic werewolf movie and ginger snaps and then we ended it with just a fun movie about werewolves kicking ass and soldiers also kicking ass but also getting picked off one by one by werewolves with dog soldiers so thank y'all for bearing with us we ran through a lot of recommendations because you know hey this is our halloween episode plus i really did want to touch on the halloween franchise happy halloween to everyone james thank you so much for joining us always hell yeah any final thoughts on dog soldiers no i think we've pretty much run through it on my end yeah kicks dick in. <laughs> that's that's all you need to know so like you said james we need more movies like this we need more military horror it can be action it can be just horror whatever just let's make more fucking werewolf movies y'all hell yeah this wraps up our season of spoop on the theme of werewolves for this year oh
Yep, yep. We are Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by a coward, me, Derek, and movie monster boy, Aaron. You can find us on all the podcatchers, Apple, Google Play, or really Google Podcasts now, Spotify, etc. We are at Watch If You Dare on Twitter and Facebook. All our show links are on our Podbean website, which that link is also on our Twitter. Please check out our Spotify music playlist, which has all kinds of spooky tunes that are inspired by horror movies or just horror in general. Um, I just added even like a song from fucking Cool Keith, Dr. Doom persona, all about cutting up bodies while eating a hamburger in the grossest apartment you can think of. Um, <laughs> before you wrap it up, your brother, shout out yes. to your brother, Jesse Mansfield, for the bumps beginning and ends of each episode especially for our season of spoop special intro hell yeah and i guess the last thing there is to say is sally have you tried licking your own balls yet oh i forgot you don't fucking have any Ow. <laughs> Ow. <laughs>